Welcome to the 439th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thanks for listening. I'm back in Southwest Florida. I just spent uh, several days in Leadville, Colorado, successfully creating or successfully finishing the Silver Rush 50-mile foot race. I did it. The official time, 13 hours, 41 minutes, and 42 seconds for a pace of 16 minutes and 59 seconds on average per mile. First half was a little faster than the second half. The cutoff time to not finish was 14 hours, so you see I had a good 19 minutes to spare. Um, so yes, I was chasing times most of the day. So before I get into the nitty-gritty details, I guess, um, we went out to the race the day before just to see the venue of the start. Um, on Instagram, um, there's a post that has the Leadville start um, that looks like a really good sled riding hill. Uh, so it's short, but nearly straight up. I'd say uh, probably two, 300 yards, but um, essentially vertical with um, loose dirt and rocks as you go up to the top. The race starts at the bottom. There is a sprint to the top because if you are the first man or the first woman to the top, you get a coin entry into the Leadville 100 foot mile race. Um, so foot, not foot mile race, but foot race. Um, I did not do that. Uh, it was a quick, brisk walk up that first hill with burning thighs halfway up and a dust bowl up on top that reminded me of some sort of cattle rustling pen um, that was nearly a brownout with dust flying. Um, so it was an amazing start to, uh, oh, you know, what the day has to lay ahead. Um, so um, you get up to the top, it was about 45 degrees to start. Um, so my hands were actually a little cold, but the rest of me wasn't cold by the time I got to the start. And you wind around a little bit, and then you actually uh, do this gradual uh, ascent. The course itself has uh, an up and down to four peaks, basically two peaks, and you repeat it coming back to 12,000 feet. So uh, at about a mile six, you start the ascent up to the first peak, then you come down, uh, you run a little bit, then you go up the next peak, uh, and then you come down. Uh, you come down to about 95, 98, um, 100 feet. So you don't come down all that much, well, a couple thousand feet. Um, and then you go back up again. You, when you're 12,000 feet, if you haven't been out west, you're above tree line. So you can tell when you're getting close because you start to lose the pine trees. So you start to kind of uh, zigzag through the a single track, meaning about wide enough for one person. In a lot of areas, it was wide enough for an ATV. Um, there was some dirt mining roads because this is the site um, or, or the course that takes you up to old silver mines. And then when you get up on top, there's some little wider roads. Um, there's some very narrow rocky paths. There's some um, paths that have rocks on them that are about the size of softballs all over, jaggedy edges uh, for the wa water wash out of the, of the uh, mountain. So um, it goes from being somewhat technical to very technical, um, up, down, and, and all around. The race course is marked with pink ribbons and flags. It would be very hard to get lost. They had, you know, places that were there were a big intersection. They either had somebody or, um, you know, they had, it was very, very well marked so that you wouldn't get lost. Um, it didn't have, it had some roots, but not near as bad as the race that I did uh, face planted four times on the roots. So there were some roots that caught my attention. Um, I was wearing two contacts that corrected my vision, my distant vision. I had no sh close up vision. So as a 60 year old, I was carrying cheaters just in case I needed to see something. I could see my watch good enough to uh, see the screens that I had set or I had it set to. Um, screens, I guess, a font that I could see. Let's put it that way. Um, and um, so the rocks, the roots, there were rocks, uh, but there weren't as many roots. Um, and you were allowed to use poles, 
when we ran the marathon last year, I saw people with poles, and I thought, why are those people using poles? It's just a marathon. And I quickly found out, because of the rocks and unsteady footing, why you might want poles. And boy, was I glad I had poles. Um, I met a, a fella um, before the race, and uh, he had said that he pulled the poles out at about six miles when he started the climbs up those, those big peaks, and he would use them up, up there. Uh, interesting story about this fella. Um, I was standing beside him, and I looked over, and I saw he had a hat on that said, I climbed Mount Everest. And I looked down, and he was a below-the-knee amputee with a um, prosthetic on. Um, so um, kudos to him. He is Jeff from Arkansas. Uh, I doubt he listens to the podcast, but uh, a really nice fellow that gave us some pointers. He had run it last year. Uh, he's running a 100-mile uh, run this year. And it's, you know, it's one of the things that I like about trail running and ultras. People are very, very nice, but you know, it is a can-do spirit. Um, nothing gets in, in these people's way. And so he was certainly an inspiration and got to congratulate him. I think he beat me by about 15 minutes coming in. Um, on this on this race, but uh, you know, uh, congratulations on his finish as well. I didn't think the altitude was all that. Um, it didn't affect me all that bad this year. Um, when we first got there, I had a bit of a headache. I was really, um, uh, you know, um, tuned in to making sure I uh, drank a lot before the race to keep my get my volume up because you tend to to lose lose volume, and that's part of the um, things that happen with people with altitude sickness. Um, but I did feel better this year. I didn't feel like my heart rate. I got like a little, you know, maybe a little unsteady right at first, but by the next morning that kind of passed. Um, so I think that last year, having had COVID two weeks before the race did make a difference, even though I never really had much of a cough. But I think just being washed out from being sick for five days um, kind of, you know, caused some issues last year. I wear a Garmin watch, and I usually just run looking at one screen, uh, typically time, distance, heart rate, um, and pace. For this race, um, because of the cutoffs, I wanted to know not only my pace, but my average pace. Because of the altitude, I wanted to be able to see my heart rate, maybe. Um, I wanted to know certainly how much time I had elapsed, how long I had been running for, but I also wanted to know um, the time of day. Uh, the race closed at 8 p.m., so I wanted to keep my eye on that, and I also carried a little um, sheet that I made, little tear-off strip that had the cutoffs for the various aid stations. So you have so long to get halfway, then you turn around, you come back, and there are cutoffs for the different aid stations on the way back. And I wanted to make sure that I was, um, that I was doing good, I wasn't losing time. You do get stopped. Uh, they take, they uh, pull you off the course if you do not make a cutoff at the aid station. So there's no uh, guesswork about that. If you're gonna, if you miss the cutoff, uh, there's no negotiating, you're done. Um, and so I, again, had my, my watch set so I could kind of scroll through every once in a while, especially as the race got um, further along so I could see the time of day. Um, so I could, it was easier for me to do the math that way if I knew it was, you know, over at eight o'clock and, you know, where I was on the course, I could tell, you know, again, then the time of day the cutoffs were too, um, you know, really helped me not to have to do quite as much math. Um, anybody that knows me, um, when I start to do a race, my ability to do math seems to go out the window. And uh, so, you know, I did a lot of adding the same numbers up over and over again on this race because you're just, you know, just not sure, so to speak. Um, I had done a lot of uh, reading and looking at other people's times before um, this race. And as you've heard from other podcasts, I was really concerned about uh, my ability to make it through without getting uh, timed out. Um, I knew that on the flat course, uh, I think I was just a little over 12 hours, um, but with the altitude and the climbs, I was not sure that, um, you know, it would be a sufficient amount of time, especially if something went wrong. Um, so I, I looked at other people's times, you know, how fast did they do the first half, how fast did they do the second half, what was their pace to make it in and under 14 hours, 
and the various, you know, if I would have a great time and it'd be 13 hours, what was my pace have to be? If I was just going to make it, what was my pace going to be? So I, I kind of knew those figures. And one thing that kept coming up was that most people took an hour and a half to an hour and 40 minutes longer to come back, do the second half than they did the first half. So that you just run the second half is just running the first half in reverse. But the, the back up the mountain the other way is a little steeper, especially the last one. And, and of course, you're getting tired. And at the turnaround uh, halfway point, you get to have what's called a drop bag. And so since there, we had no crew helping us, you basically fill a plastic bag with your number on it with the things that you want to carry, want to eat on the way back uh, so that you refill your pack. I wore a vest, and you refill that once you get out there. So any kind of special food you want. So it takes a little bit of time. Uh, people also put, which I did, I put a couple pair of socks in there. So if I had an issue with a pair of socks, I could change out. Um, and, um, I had some uh, first aid, you know, for blisters, some tape, um, some things for my feet if I ever to get into trouble. Um, I also carried some turmeric gummies, some Tylenol, and some Gas-X, as well as some anti-cramping pills with me. So I was carrying my little medicine cabinet. Um, so I had all that, you know, ready to go. So I, my goal was a great day would get me to the turnaround in six hours. That would be a fabulous day. That would put me like I was running flat. Um, and an awful day would be, um, you know, seven hours. I think the, the half, you had to get to the, the hour, you had to get to the cutoff by seven and a half hour. But again, if you only have 14 hours to go, then you'd have to run the second half first, faster than the first half. And nobody ever did that. So I knew that I had to have some time to spare to give me extra time on the way back. So I thought 6.30 wouldn't be a bad time. If I got under 6.30, I should be, um, you know, able to make the, the future cutoffs. And so I got there at six, six hours and 29 minutes. So I had one giant minute to spare from what I wanted. So that meant I had an hour and a half to get back to make um, 14, I'm sorry, I had an hour and a half extra to get back to make the cutoff. Um, so I was, I was pretty much running scared the whole time. Uh, I did not dally when I went to an aid station. I filled my bottles up with water, added the electrolyte drink mix that I use, um, and went on my merry way. Um, sometimes if I just got water, I would try to add the drink mix while I was walking so that I, you know, had continuous forward progress. I thought if you continuous forward progress, you know, it's going to give me my best opportunity to finish. Um, stopped to use the bathroom twice. Um, stopped one time because I thought I had a pretty good size pebble in my shoe. I don't know that I really got the one out that was bothering me, but I moved it enough that it didn't bother me after a while. So those were my only three um, complete standstill stops other than to have my bottles filled. And even the last aid stations coming back, uh, the people working the aid stations kind of grabbed your bottles for you and filled them up with water so you didn't even have to stand there for the most part. You could, uh, you know, be doing something else, putting the bottles back in or whatever. And so I didn't spend much time at all at the aid stations, which I think was great. Um, if you run uh, marathons or above, one of the things uh, that people are always told not to do, never do something new on race day. Um, and I've been known to say never do anything new on race day to other people and then go ahead and do something new on race day. And sometimes, most of the time, it actually does backfire. But today, but this race, I actually did two new things that worked that I had not tested. Um, in the past, during the week, um, and I usually run in, in Ninji toe socks, it's a particular brand uh, that are wicking. Uh, but races, because of water crossings and things, I run in a brand called Exoskins. They're a little bit lighter. Uh, they have a different fiber, kind of a more of a nylon, thinner sock that also, you know, wicks the water better. I knew this course didn't have very much water on it. I also knew from my last race that I got had pain on top of my foot and actually somewhat of a blister because the sh my shoes, the tongue is uh, pretty thin on top and the shoes, the socks being thin, I kind of, kind of rubbed back and forth. So I decided to go with my Aninji Trail Toe Socks 
um, that were a little thicker, had a little bit more padding on top and a little bit more padding on the bottom. And again, it wasn't going to be a hot race, so I didn't have to worry about my feet sweating a whole lot. Um, and, you know, I wasn't sure about the water, but I was going to chance it in case I actually had a pair of exo skins at the turnaround and I had another pair of NGs at the turnaround if things went uh, awry. I usually never get blisters that I have to tape or I can tape up. I usually get blisters under my toenails if I get them. So, uh, again, with this new change, I actually, that's why I carry the blister um, supplies just in case something went wrong. Um, the shoe tip. Um, if you're running races that are up and down hills, your feet move, move a little bit. And um, there's an extra um, eyelet at the very top of your shoe that kind of comes horizontal to the next to the last one. Um, when you get shoes, they're ne it's never, it's never um, tied up into there. But I use that eyelet to come across a way so that I can uh, tighten the shoe up around my ankle but not tighten it too hard on the top of my foot. So I, so I had practiced that and that seemed to be working as well. Um, so that was the new thing and I, and I will say that um, despite being a few streams in the beginning, I crossed, we crossed a few streams and I was kind of careful to not really dunk my foot into the, into the water on the way back. I was like, what the heck, I don't care. Um, and the socks did, the socks did fine. So that wasn't, that wasn't a problem. No feet issues, no blisters. My feet were not tired. I run in a pretty minimal shoe. It's an, it's called an Innovate, I-N-O-V-8, um, shoe that's flat. Um, I used to run in ultras after I broke my toe, ultras seemed to, my foot seemed to slide a little bit too much in them. Um, so this is a fairly narrow, shoe that's flat, uh, not much to it. Um, it's got really good lugs for traction on the bottom, but not a lot of cushiony. So it's not near as cushioned as people to wear these thick, some of the shoes like Hoka's and some of the New Balance shoes that have a really thick foam. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not running on pillows. So I can, I can feel the ground, but my foot's very well protected because of the way the lugs are kind of like tires on the bottom. So they're not big and bulky. Um, so Again, for me, who has tripped and, and fallen several times, I think this better seemed to have a little bit better footing with them. So I wore them, uh, extremely happy. Um, you know, again, no feet issues. My feet weren't tired. My Achilles weren't tired. The top of my foot wasn't tired. I was, I was really, really happy. I did not change my socks at, at the halfway point. The other thing that I did was new uh, was an avocado wrap. I talked about it. You know, our long runs here in Florida, we usually start out in the morning, and so we're done mid-morning um, or late morning, and it's not really lunchtime. So we get up and we just start, and we have the gels on the way or something, you know, our usual drink mix on the way, but there's no, really not a great opportunity to try solid foods uh, for the most part. Um, but I decided that an avocado wrap would be good because um, the wrap itself uh had a little salt. Um, the wrap had three grams of fat, three grams of protein. Not that, uh, you know, the protein, you know, I guess you're going to need at some point to start repairing things. So you might as well have a little bit in. Three grams of fat, I didn't think was horrible. And 18 grams of carbohydrate. Um, the avocado um, used probably a half of an avocado on the wrap, 12 grams of fat, um, two grams of protein, and eight and a half grams of carbohydrate. So I got a fair amount of carbohydrate that was slow burning, but I also got some fat to keep settle my stomach, um, you know, some vitamins and minerals, a little bit of fiber, not a lot, a little bit of protein, not a lot. And that would have been about 250 calories. So I put that in my drop bag so I could have it at the turnaround. And I did take it out at the turnaround and I did eat it and it was great. I put a little soy sauce on it as well and it tasted wonderful. After having the gels and the sweet drinks and the and the fig um, candy bar or the Mary Lou pie bars, um, it, that really tasted good. So, I we had gnarly as a powdered nutrition electrolyte drink. Um, there was a cherry coke flavor, a lime flavor, and then there was a tailwind watermelon flavor. Uh, and then we had gels, which are the Huma that have chia seeds in them. Um, I also had four Peter Rabbit baby foods, apple, banana, uh, two of them, and two of them had apple, banana, and oats. 
Um, they're about 110 calories each. I also had uh, Mary, I think I had two Mary Lou pie bars. Um, you can get them at Walmart. They're pretty good ingredients. They are vegan. Um, it's kind of like a Fig Newton, apple filling and blueberry filling. Um, so those were, that's what I had. And I actually had no GI issues as far as I, I didn't get sick as far as not being able to tolerate anything. Um, I, you know, I, I felt like, uh, I could, if my legs started getting a little heavy, I made sure I ate very regularly. I tried to eat before the hills started to get real, um, real steep. So I took in um, mainly the fluids going up the hills, and then I would eat when things, you know, started down or, or leveled out a little bit. There was not much level uh, to speak of, um, but that's, that's kind of how I did it. I drank three bottles, three 14-ounce bottles of uh, water and uh, electrolyte solution. So it would be 200 calories from the electrolyte solution and then two water bottles every seven miles. And that's a lot for me. But again, I was trying to avoid altitude sickness. Um, it's dry, you're breathing heavier, you know, you're losing, you're losing fluid that you don't realize. It's, you know, down low or lower. It started to heat up when the sun came out when you would get high, the wind would blow and it'd actually be cool and it cooled you off and then you go back down and it'd be you know, you start to get hot again. Uh, so I used all three of those bottles. And most of the last um, half of the race, I was actually running out of fluid before the aid station. So I was, you know, sucking every drop out of those 14-ounce bottles. Um, I also had three or four ounces of Coke on the second half. I waited to the second half to have Coca-Cola. Um, if you've listened to any of these podcasts before, I never drink Coke except in a race. Iron Man, um, and these ultras tend, the Coca-Cola tends to, for whatever reason, settle my stomach, gives me some instant um, energy with sugar and caffeine that uh, I really, you know, like. So I had um, three to four ounces of Coke at each of the last three aid stations. Um, so altitude and altitude sickness. We flew into Denver. It's 5,280 mile high city. And then when we drove two and a half hours to Leadville, we kept just climbing, climbing, climbing. Altitude sickness, basically, or altitude feelings start to become apparent um, at about 5,000 feet above sea level. Um, a lot of physiological changes start to occur in that 5,000 to 8,000 range. So we were certainly there at Leadville in the high nines to 10,000 feet. Um, there's the same amount of oxygen, but the barometric pressure is less as you go higher. Um, it was funny when we were flying out, as a side note, they said you could put your tray tables up, we're at 10,000 feet, and it's like, oh great, you know, when I'm out running in Leadville, I could put my tray table up and be just okay. Um, but anyway, the oxygen uh, is there, but the barometric pressure is less, so it's harder to get the oxygen into your system, and so the first thing that happens is you increase your cardiac output. So you increase how much volume circulates each heartbeat. And so the equation for cardiac output, I'm sure everybody wants to know, but it's your heart rate times the stroke volume. How much blood that the heart puts out with each beat times the heart rate equals the total cardiac output that feeds your body blood and oxygen. Um, your blood vessels also dilate when you get into higher elevation, which you would think is a good thing. But again, because of the, the volume aspect of things, now your heart rate starts to increase. It's your stroke volume or how much blood your heart puts out with each beat doesn't change much over short periods of time. Your, blood, your heart has to fill with blood and then eject the blood. So you can only fill so quickly your heart function can inject a little bit more quickly, but again, it is um, affected by how much it can feel, how much time there is for your heart rate to heart to fill. So if your heart rate goes up, obviously you have less, less time to get blood in your heart. Um, and um, it also, uh, with you know blood flow and things, as far as the thickness of your heart to start with. So there's not a whole lot of change in the stroke volume, but your heart rate goes up. Um, the decrease in oxygen, you know, if you were like, you know, everybody knows what a pulse ox is from COVID, but, you know, if that pulse ox goes below 90, your 
uh, not saturating your tissues enough. That was the, that's a magic number that we always want to be above 90. Most people walk around with the oxygen saturation greater than 95%. Anything above 90, you really can't tell for the most part. Um, but when you start, when the oxygen tension starts to go down, then people start, you start to hyperventilate. You start to breathe more readily. When you breathe more readily, you exhale more carbon dioxide. And so your blood pH actually changes acutely and you become somewhat alkalotic. So it's called a respiratory alkalotic. And you also have this increased breathing faster. And if you're breathing diaphragmatically, you actually increase your red cell uh, um, release from your spleen even a little bit. Um, unfortunately, your urine output also goes up. So your plasma volume, so the blood in your system also goes down. Um, so that's why you need to drink. So you have hyperventilation, you lose a little bit of fluid. You urinate a little bit more, so you lose a little bit of fluid. Um, and you, you, so you're a little bit dehydrated and that kind of, if, so if you're dehydrated, that causes a problem when you're trying to deliver oxygen to your tissues. Coronary artery blood flow also increases as long as you have normal coronary arteries. So you have vasodilation, it affects also your coronary arteries. So you actually get more blood flow to your heart, um, as you're pumping, you know, more fluid around. When they talk about altitude sickness, acute mountain sickness, um, headache, nausea, uh, insomnia, vomiting, dizziness, fatigue, um, those are the non-life-threatening um, changes in altitude that people see. You know, we did have a little bit of headache. I ran into a person that was running that got nauseated at the top of the climbs, and she got better as things went on. Um, but th those are the issues, and again, it's really important to maintain your hydration. But you can see that if you had a bad heart, increasing your volume could also put you into uh, difficulty because your heart has to pump harder if it's pumping more volume. So um, that's why when people have, you know, weakened heart muscle, uh, decreased cardiac uh, ejection fraction, so to speak, uh, you got to be really, really careful with, with hydration because um, it's difficult to... Um, correct. You know, so hydration is the key. Um, people have used aspirin, ibuprofen, um, Diamox, which is, uh, is something to help regulate the pH and dexamethasone on, in some occasion. But, um, you know, obviously with running, especially ultras, we didn't want any part of ibuprofen. Uh, ibuprofen decreases um, nitric oxide production. Uh, it is hard on the kidneys, can cause uh, acidosis of the kidneys, it can cause GI bleeding, so it's not something that you really want to be involved with during an ultra run. Um, again, if you had coronary artery disease, it could, you could get more constriction of the arteries rather than, than dilation and, and getting into, a, you know, uh, your, because your heart needs more blood flow, and, and if that doesn't happen, people could get chest pain. So the biggest risk, you know, is that hypovolemia or decrease in blood volume. Uh, so it was hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. So um, the day before the race, you know, I had a 24-ounce bottle that I was carrying around. I made sure that I got four of those in on top of coffee, juice, you know, uh, everything else that I had. I was really diligent. Uh, I was really diligent the day we got there and traveling to drink a lot of fluid. So usually I get kind of lazy on that. Uh, especially the day I fly, but um, last year I had an episode um, that I that I kind of got a little bit nauseated and um, dehydrated when I when I first got there, so I made sure I didn't want that to happen again. In training for the race, you know, I was doing last uh, well, I was doing the treadmill elevation, you know, so I put the treadmill at any place from six to fifteen percent and and go up it and see how far I could go. I, I think um, that helped tremendously. Uh, I motored up the hills pretty good, and with the poles, um, that that was um, uh, a real advantage. I want to give a huge shout out to a ultra running um, icon to me, Sandy Geisel. Um, we were able to run with her up in Georgia. She's actually a member of our practice as well, and she was so gracious to come meet us in the hills of Georgia and give us a tutorial on running with poles and how to plant them at your feet and use them to push rather than pull. 
that helped immensely. Uh, I don't know that I would have made it without that, um, the, the poles. So that was really good. The tire pull that I did, I'm going to say it made my legs stronger. I don't know how much it, you know, uh, certainly it was a good way to get strong. That mango in the backpack causing my SI joints to flare. Um, probably didn't help the situation as far as my mileage went, but it did make me get on the treadmill more and walk at high elevation. So maybe that did work out to my favor as opposed to, um, you know, I can see me if I felt okay, just wanting to run on the level and run outside as much as possible. So I think that my training was good. I would have liked to have had a little bit more mileage under my belt, um, as far as, you know, some of the weekends before, but, um, you know, I'm not sure. Um, I still need to get better going downhill. I was better than I was last year, um, but I still need more foot, uh, footwork focus, uh, more cadence drills. Um, you know, I think that was, um, you know, I just didn't make, it wasn't like I was gonna make up a tremendous amount of time other than I recovered my heart rate and breathing going down the hills, but the speed was not tremendously fast going down the hills. Thank goodness, again, I had the poles because a couple times the poles kind of gave me an extra leg, so to speak, when I started to trip. Um, so um, that, that allowed me. So I didn't fall down the whole time. I uh, did see a girl that fell down at breakfast. I saw her the next day at breakfast, and, you know, she pulled. I said, did you use poles? She said, no, but I used it afterwards. But I, um, I really um, thought the poles helped a lot. Um, and I, but I do need more foot, footwork focus. So... You know, as I was running, um, I, you know, I started out, you start that big climb and then you kind of catch your breath a little bit. Then you start these gradual climbs and, I, you know, I was breathing heavy. I, I did not look at my heart rate. Um, I just decided I was going to go by feel because the most important thing was making the cutoffs. And I figured, you know what, I'm going to give it what I've got um, and I'm going to go till they pull me off the course. Uh, I'm going to try to run as smart as I possibly can, and then if I don't make it, I'll pick up the pieces and we'll retrain and see what I can do. But I, you know, I, I pushed as hard as I, I, I felt comfortable, but I didn't go out of a zone that I, that I felt that I was burning too much fuel too quick. Um, I was really uh, on top of my nutrition, making sure I took in calories because, you know, the higher your heart rate, the more you work, the more you burn, the more carbohydrate you burn. So I wanted to make sure I didn't get to the point where the tank was really dry and, you know, I really had to slow down for that. So um, I thought that, you know, I had that dialed in pretty much the best I could have done for the day. And, and I, was, I was happy with that. And I got to tell you, across my mind, um, probably starting mile seven when we're starting up some of the climbs, you know, this is really, really tough. Um, I just don't know if I'm going to make it despite my best efforts. And I wasn't disappointed. Uh, again, uh, the idea was to give it all I've got and see where it gets me. Um, and there was, I was at peace knowing that, um, that I didn't really have any regrets. I was going to do the best I could, but that was really, you know, I was going to have to, you know, that would just be it. Um, I hate to fail. Um, I've never failed at too many things. I failed at a few big things, but I've never... <laughs> But, I, you know, I've always been able to do things that I can work hard and train for and have a pretty good sense that I'm going to be able to do it. So this race really scared me because I did not know if I was going to be able to do it. And I did think that there was a fair chance that I was not going to be able to do it and make the cutoff times, especially if I slowed down uh, too much or had too much trouble with the hills. Um, so I, I had no sense of confidence that I was definitely going to make it. I had confidence that I was going to give it my all. Um, interestingly, you know how things happen for a reason. I read a book on the way, um, a couple days before and then on the airplane, um, by a ultra runner named Sally McRae. And the name of the book is Choose Strong, and I will link it in the show notes and I think it's a wonderful read. Um, her strength and determination are unimaginable uh, given the childhood struggles that she underwent um, and the struggles throughout her life. Um, 
and you know the choose strong book and what you know and she became a great ultra runner and um i you know i couldn't help but be propelled by her message as far as choosing strong and you know just you know suck it up buttercup let's keep going um until you can't um and and certainly you know there's some other people out there that are struggling a lot for things that they didn't choose and i get to choose today you know i got to choose on that day to run so I, I chose to run as hard as I could, run for people that couldn't run, um, and uh, do the best that I could. The um, race founders, Ken uh, Colber and Mary Lee, um, are at the finish line, um, and I really wanted to see them being successful. And their motto is, dig deep, uh, you can do more than you think you can. And... Um, you know, Leadville race was, races were founded on saving the town Leadville from uh, ruin when the mines, the mines closed down. And Ken ran the 100-mile race. He's run all the races, but he ran the 100-mile races several years. Mary Lee uh, was an accomplished, and I believe she's in the running Hall of Fame in Colorado, but she was an accomplished uh, donkey burrow racer. Um, burrow racing from the, if you listen to my podcast, Running with Sherman, you run with the burrow, not on the burrow. And so, you know, when Boston wasn't letting women in to races, Mary Lee was running marathon distance races uh, with the, holding on to the lead of a donkey. So, um, you know, so these are um, tough, gritty, positive people, and they make you feel at home. You know, they talk about the Leadville family. And, and they really do mean it. And, you know, I, I never met these people, but I didn't want to let, I didn't want to let them down. And, uh, you know, so that was, that was motivating. And again, um, we met Jeff at, at registration, um, you know, and again, it's like, geez, you know, if this guy is, you know, he summoned at Mount Everest with a below the knee amputation, he's running this race, he's going to run the hundred. And it's like, I'm going to do it. It was just his attitude. So it's hard not to be motivated when you're in such um, high energy, high energy fields. Um, you know, Addie was back in, in Houston with my mom and Nathan and Caleb, and she was tracking me online, uh, you know, and the only time she would get any feedback was when I would go through an aid station and I could feel the tension that she was feeling. It's like, oh my, you know, is she going to get to the aid station on time? Where is she? How long has it been? Uh, and, and she later told me that, you know, she basically didn't get dinner on the table to really late because she couldn't focus enough because she kept refreshing her, her, fee- her feed for the race. But Addie's been, um, you know, around since the beginning of all these races, obviously. And, you know, our deal has always been, I might not finish when I want to finish, but barring some terrible injury, I'm always going to finish. And again, this race was one of those that uh, I wasn't necessarily sure that that was going to take place. Um, you know, I knew I had her support of whatever the, the outcome be. But, you know, again, you always want to do the best you can for your kids, no matter how old they are. So she was certainly a motivator for me. The race was 13 hours and 41 minutes of looking where I was going. Um, that's basically, you know, you look around and you take quick glances at the beauty of the course. It's absolutely beautiful in Leadville, Colorado. If you get the opportunity to go there for whatever reason, do go, um, you know, on top of the, on top of the climbs, you could see forever snow-capped mountains. Um, uh, I posted in Facebook, the lady that wrote America, the beautiful, you know, the part of it came from looking at Colorado mountains and it's, and it truly is, um, uh, what makes America so beautiful? But there were, um, you know, wildflowers, purple and yellow and orange. Uh, again, you would be in the pine trees and the rocks, and then you would be above, and you could just see forever the snow-capped mountains. So it was quite, quite beautiful. Running up, as the, the higher you got up, you could start to hear the water rushing off the mountains from the snow melt, so you could hear that going through some of the pipes. Um, we went by abandoned mines, you know, so where these guys, you know, in the 60s and 70s and 80s, early 80s, I guess, when the mines closed, that really risk a lot. And it was tremendous hard work uh, to be up at that elevation working in mines and the danger of being up in those mines and up and down. Uh, you couldn't, you know, you couldn't help but think about all the risks that they took. 
Um, again, you know, at the lower levels, it would heat up and higher. It got windy and chilly, but, um, you know, it, all in all, it was a great temperature for me. Michael's race didn't go how he would have liked, um, but I'll have to say that he probably had the most guts of, of anybody, uh, of the two of us. Um, he started out with a knee injury that's caused him grief for the last several months, um, and his training certainly hasn't been what he wanted to be, and he started the race in discomfort, um, but he started the race with the idea of to see how far he could get uh, and in, to enjoy the scenery and enjoy, you know, the, the, the people and the, and the atmosphere, and, and he had such a positive outlook on things. It was amazing. I wouldn't have been able to have such a good outlook, I'm sure. Um, he um, made the decision to stop halfway rather than make, um, you know, um, people come and get him a little bit further out. So he, you know, he had to pull because of his, his knee injury. Um, but, you know, luckily he came back not in worse shape than when he went, so he didn't get more injured. Um, he smiled the whole way. He was supportive of all the other people, including me, uh, and climbed that hill at the end to take a picture of me coming down. So I'm forever grateful for his positive support and his, you know, positive outlook on life when, you know, you're given some lemons. Um, again, when I came down through there, first thing I wanted to do when I crossed that finish line was get the uh, inaugural, the, the hug from Ken and Mary Lee. Uh, and it was, it was quite, uh, quite fitting, um, because Ken was sitting there with the shotgun because at 14 hours they blow, they fire the shotgun and the race is over. So I got a picture of, with Ken and Mary Lee and the shotgun. And, you know, all you people know of my West Virginia history, I'm quite comfortable with the shotgun being in a photo. And, uh, you know, the, the, the great thing is uh, the live photo caught Ken saying, there's my girl. And again, that just reinstates that, you know, Leadville race is different from other races and that it's, you know, the Leadville family. And once you get sucked in by that little town, uh, you become part of the Leadville family. And, you know, to top off the cake after it was all said and done, the race director, uh, Tamara Jenlick, um, took us back to our cars. So after the race, um, we waited around for the results and turns out that um, I got third place in my age group. Um, and uh, you know, you might call it a survivor, survivor uh, win, but nevertheless, there were I think five in my age group. I think two people didn't finish. Um, and there's a coin given out in a, every age group um, for the 100-mile race. So you can say, I want to run the 100-mile race this August or defer to next August if you get the coin. So obviously the first place winner uh, in the age group gets the opportunity to have the coin and then it rolls down. I was really, as much as I now want to run the 100, I was really hoping that they took it and she did uh, the coin. And they even had a lottery at the end where they drew names uh, for coins. And I, I was fearful that I would get a coin because I, I just so was not mentally repaired, prepared at that moment to even think about running 100 miles after the 50-mile race. So I, I was kind of glad that I didn't get a coin. But we stayed to the end uh, and cheered everybody that, that won their age groups. The oldest person, uh, the oldest woman to complete the race was a 73-year-old woman. Uh, and she did take the coin for the 100-mile race, and everybody cheered. It was, it was so, so great. Um, back to Tamara Jenlik, who is the current race director. She talks about being the best humans that we can be and uses ultra running to connect with nature for mental health, for physical well-being. Uh, and she certainly walks the walk. She's uh, completed the 100-mile mountain bike um, four times. She's completed the, the, the uh, run as well. She now coaches um, girls in, in uh, grade school and middle school on mountain bike skills so that they can make uh, the high school team to try to get more girls into to biking. Uh, again, she is very driven to link um, mental health with community health, with being outdoors. Uh, so she is quite the ambassador for lifetime fitness in this race. Um, we were standing for the shuttle to go back to where we parked our car and there wasn't a shuttle and there's about seven of us standing there 
And she looked up and said, uh, where's the shuttle? And we said, we don't know. And she said, don't worry about it. And so she pulled her truck around uh, and summoned another uh, race crew to take us back to our car. So if you don't think that that's not family, you get a lift from the race director uh, back to your car, I don't, I don't know what it would be. So, um, you know, overall, it's been a lengthy podcast for me. Um, I was uh, ecstatic to finish. Um, I had some, some uh, sacroiliac joint problems and some sciatica before I started. I had none of that during the race, thank goodness. I'm still working on my core stability to try to make sure that that doesn't happen again and, and try to keep myself more balanced. I certainly need to do more hill work, especially down work, cadence work, ankle work. Um, you know, at 24 hours later, I was ready to say I'd try the 100. I'm still scared, but I think I'm scared enough to sign up. So next month, we're going back to Leadville to volunteer uh, at the aid station on one of the highest peaks. And so we'll get uh, an inside look at, uh, you know, more of the 100-mile race, which is a different course. As far as after the race and before race, what we ate, I think it's important to talk about because um, uh, I thought our nutrition was really good all around. Leadville is a really small town. It's certainly not plant-based. Colorado is not plant-based for the most part. Um, there are some options, but it is a, you know, it's a cattle, cattle state for the most part. Um, but when we got into town, there was one small grocery store and we bought a bag of frozen fruit and bananas and we had mango juice thanks to one of our members who knows that I like mango juice. We had bagels, frozen vegetables, soba noodles. Um, I, we had a little kitchenette, so I was able to make noodles and uh, vegetables with a peanut lemongrass sauce that we bought. And uh, we had instant potatoes and corn and peas. We had tofu, uh, you know, again, avocado. Uh, we went to a restaurant where we had this giant kale salad with beets and grains. We uh, went to a restaurant in Denver where we got pho. Uh, with, you know, Napa cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, carrots, you know, so that was great. Um, so I really thought that, you know, we were able to, we did have pizza at, at the best pizza restaurant there in town. I can't remember what the name of it is, but the veggie pizza with fresh kale, uh, mushrooms, peppers, tomatoes. Um, so that was, that was quite delicious. So, you know, we were able to eat good while we were there. Um, I talked about what we ate during the race. Um, but you know, all in all, it was a, a great experience. I'm, I'm glad that, that, you know, I was so relieved. I, I really, you know, carried papers and studied for this race more than I've studied for any other race, uh, both mentally and physically. Call comes down to you, you know, you can do more than you think you can. Um, and you know, had I not finished, I was content knowing that I kind of gave it all, um, that I had, uh, and, you know, the approach would be to continue to build and retry it. Um, I guess the only other time in my life where I wasn't sure of something, you know, as far as I, when I applied to medical school, um, most people that I knew knew somebody that was, you know, a doctor. None of my family were physicians or ever went to medical school. So I wasn't sure at all that I was going to get in. Um, and so I had my backup plan was, well, my first plan was to graduate in three years uh, with two de- with almost two degrees, and if I didn't get in, I'd go back and get the second degree and try again. So I guess Silver Rush 50 was kind of like going to medical school or trying to get in. Um, I think that, you know, there was so much focus during the race on the rocks, the terrain, the direction, nutrition, hydration. Um, I think it ties into real life. Um, if you're struggling to get better, um, from a health condition, you got to do that. You got to have that ultra marathon every day and focus every day to keep things going, you know, have a training plan, have your plan of action. Um, we work with a lot of people to give them that plan, whether they have arthritis or cancer or heart disease, but we, we want them to work the plan every day and all day long every day. And, um, and those people are the most successful that keep focused in, 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 Look at the journey um, of how they're going to get there, uh, not just be disappointed if it's not coming quicker, looking at the outcome all the time. So, you know, the, the takeaway from all this is that, you know, I think that ultra marathon running or in, even marathon running is you, you focus on the journey and learn to enjoy the journey, um, be mindful of the journey and readjust as you go, uh, troubleshoot because things don't happen always as you would like them to. 
um, and you do the best you can. And when the day is over, you can say, you know, with confidence, I, I gave it my best shot. There's no regrets. And um, to me, that would be a life well lived if you can look back at the end and say, I, I did my best. I have no regrets. So I hope you enjoyed uh, this lengthy recant of my Silver Rush 50 run. Um, I'm almost tired just talking about it. Um, but again, thank you very much. If you have some interest in our practice or want to know how we talk, to, uh, what, how we, uh, what we have to offer for our members uh, all over the country, uh, please go to drdelaney.com. You can email me at jamie at drdelaney.com. I'm on Jamila Delaney on Instagram and Facebook if you want to go in and see some pictures. Um, see that race start. Lifetime Fitness is um, the race series, so you can go in and see a lot of pictures from, from there. Um, YouTube has a lot of uh, videos on uh, the Leadville 50 and, and 100 if you want to watch you know, what actually happens during one of those races. I had, didn't bring a GoPro camera. I was too afraid of missing a cutoff to take time to take pictures. But thanks always for listening, and I'll see you next week.